One of the wonderful things about Christmas is that uh, it's, it obviously is when Jesus was born into the earth. That's what we celebrate. Now, obviously, we know that um, he wasn't born on December 25th. That's a Roman calendar. He would have been born according to the Jewish calendar. But we have to pick one day to celebrate it. And as Paul said to one man, every day is holy. To another man, this day is holy or that day is holy. So we just pick a day. And somebody once said, well, don't you know December 25th is a pagan holiday? And I said, every day is a pagan holiday. <laughs> Even if you go to some of those heathen stores, you can find a poster that says 365 reasons to party. And so we just pick one. We're a Christian. The days were made for us. And so we just pick a day and we say, we're going to celebrate Jesus's birth on this day. And the world, have you noticed the world just honors that? And the world gets in line behind us and says, amen, hallelujah. And so I want to point out a few things. And what I want to talk tonight about is the, the lordship and the governing of Jesus Christ. It's often as Christians, and it seems to be more and more in our Christian culture, uh, we kind of see Jesus as this great big blesser. And we see Jesus as this one who's going to save us from hell. And, and between being blessed and going to hell, he has no other permission in our life. And what I want to show us tonight from the word of God is that Jesus Christ is not only the son of God. He not only saves us from hell. He's not only the word made flesh, but he's also governor. He is ruler. He is Lord. And in the Greek, the word Lord means emperor. And we forget about all these governing terms. In America, as Christians, we want to make Jesus our big sugar daddy. But we forget that scores and scores and scores of times in the New Testament, he's called the Lord Jesus Christ. Or we would, the Greeks would have heard the emperor Christ. We don't have a clue what that means as American Christians. Because we as American Christians, if we're not careful, we'll live life just any old way we want to. And then we'll expect Jesus Christ to be the sugar daddy with the magic wand that blesses what we do. And if we're going to be Christians, we have to follow the lordship, the masterhood, the emperor, not an evil emperor, obviously, but the, the governance of Jesus Christ. He's the only name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. And we don't get to just live our life the way we want to and then expect him to dig us out of the ditches and to bless us, we have to obey him. He is a benevolent king. And if you have your Bible, I'm going to do a little bit of teaching tonight. And that's what our custom is around here. Turn to Deuteronomy 4. I want to show you what God Almighty said to Moses and what Moses taught the people. Because this is all leading someplace to, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see this from the very beginning. Jesus Christ told the Pharisees, he said, you ought to read Moses and the prophets because they speak of me. Moses and all the prophets, they all testified of Jesus Christ. And as John's gospel says, the word was made flesh. What word? The word from Genesis to Malachi. From the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. So everything Moses and the prophets spoke of was Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the lamb slain. What lamb? Passover lamb. Moses talked about that. 
And then all the prophets prophesied about this coming Messiah. But what I want to emphasize and focus tonight is not just this babe in a manger, but why he was really born. Not, not just to save us from hell. Thank God for that. But what does he do in between now and, and us dying? What does he do between now and the ends of the ages? Deuteronomy chapter 4, but beginning in verse 4, this is the, the law. And Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. This is Moses speaking to God's people. And Moses said, you, But you that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. Now that's a good message in itself. When you cleave to God, you get to live. When we start rejecting the Lord God, when we start rejecting the word of God, we may not be alive this day. So even here it says, You cleave to the Lord God, you live. You reject him. What recourse do you have? Verse 5, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do so in the land where you go to possess it. Well, we can bring that to the New Testament. The Bible teaches us how to live, how to behave, how to forgive, how to have mercy, how to tell people about Jesus, how to extend compassion, how to manifest the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit, and we're to do that everywhere we go, no matter what land we're living in. Verse 6, Keep therefore and do them. Keep what? The statutes and the judgments. Now watch this because God gave Israel statutes and judgments, not just so they'd know how to live, but so they could be governed in peace. Keep therefore and do them for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What made Israel a wise and understanding nation? The fact that they let God govern them. How did God govern them? Through the word, through his statutes, through his judgments, through his precepts. And Moses told Israel, he said, you're about to go into the promised land. You need to realize and recognize the only reason you have any wisdom and any understanding is because of God's word. And that made Israel great for 1,200 years until they rebelled against their God and the fullness of the rebellion came and then they were no longer a nation. They were carried off into Babylon. They were owned by the Persians until the time of their captivity was turned and they were released and a remnant came out with Zerubbabel and uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. And they have, of course, come back as a nation today. But the thing that made this nation great and caused every nation to look at them was the fact that God was able to govern them. You see it from the very beginning. God wanted to govern his people. And how did he do it? Through the word of God. Now, one of the things that has made America great, now though we're on the downhill slide, the reason why every nation on this planet has wanted to be like us is because of our wisdom and understanding. The world sends their top scholars to our schools. Their best and brightest come to the Christian nation for education because of our wisdom and understanding. America sends its best and its brightest to our own institutions. And the world, because they lack the wisdom and they lack the understanding, send their best and their brightest to the Christian nation because of our wisdom and understanding. How was America founded? On the wisdom and understanding of the Bible. We're the Christian nation. That is why every nation in the world has desired to be like us. Every nation in the world is industrialized because of our pioneering for the last 200 years. 
Now, granted, we're on the downhill swing because we've left the God of the Bible. We've embraced immorality. We've embraced sin. We are now such lawless people. And, And even the secular humanists in their magazines and in their dissertations are talking about the downfall of America, the end of the American millennium or the uh, century, the end of America. They're recognizing this. And what made us great was the fact that our forefathers, the founding fathers, took the Decalogue, that is the Ten Commandments, and the laws of the prophets and Moses, and they codified them. That means they simplified them into a code of living. And that became our Bill of Rights and our Constitution. We allowed God to govern this nation, and it took us from nothing but a colony Do you have any idea what a colony is? It's a handful of nothing who leaves everything behind, pukes for six months on a ship, and has to trust Indians to eat corn. That's a colony. And because that colony said, God, we will honor you, O God of Israel, O God of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will honor you if you will make us a nation here. If you allow us to be the Christian nation. In fact, William Penn called it the great experiment. Could God do it again? He did it with Israel and then cast Israel off. Could God do it again? He did. He made America. I mean, nobody is lining up to send their folks to the University of Oogala Boogala. <laughs> right? The third. But see, now those, those countries have institutions because their folks came here to be educated and went back by their country's request and founded their, their, their universities. They're all American educated. But God promised Israel, if you will walk in my statutes and commandments, the nations will marvel at you. Nobody is lining up. What what is the most widely spoken language in the world? English. Why? America. Now, this isn't some kind of patriotic message, but I want to show you what made America great. Because it was, when it's going to come back to the birth of Jesus Christ, because God has always wanted to rule his people. He's always wanted to govern them, and our forefathers permitted that. They were every denomination, and a a big bulk, a third or so of our constitutional forefathers were ministers of the gospel. They were reverends. And the Old Testament, much less the New Testament, was woven in and out of our founding documents. That is what has made us great, because God was getting his will in these colonialists. God was getting his will among the hearts of these colonialists. He even endorsed and fought on the side of the colonialists against the British Empire. How else could a bunch of colonialists win against the empire who who never saw the sunset? Except that God was for the colonialists. I don't think God is so much for us now because we're ashamed of him. Maybe not you and I, but our nation as a whole. Amen. Especially when we have our foremost leaders in the land saying America is not the Christian nation anymore. The world still seems to think so. That's why they attack us so heavily. So you see that. Come over to Isaiah 9. Actually, let me keep reading here. Verse 6. Keep therefore and do these commandments, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. We have seen that for 200 years. Now, coincidentally enough, our foremost universities, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, they were all founded as seminaries. Even America sends its brightest to those universities, but they became the greatest universities because they were founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those schools started, but formed to raise up preachers of the gospel, not some other religion. 
And now the best and brightest from every creed, nationality, color, and tongue go to that con- those schools to be further educated in the continuing greatness that is America. Amen. It's also an interesting study to know how many Jewish people have received Nobel Prizes because of wisdom and understanding. How many Americans, because of Christianity, have received the foremost awards on science and understanding and contribution to humanity because of the gospel, because God Almighty is allowed to move through people. Now, here at Isaiah 9, we see some of the first promises of our Savior. Isaiah chapter 9. I throw a fancy English word at you. Jingoistic. Jingoism. That means extreme patriotism. This is not to be an extremely patriotic message. It's not meant to be jingoistic. But uh, I'm a scientist, and I still look for cause and effect even in the spiritual realm. Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah the prophet, very familiar prophecy, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Now look at the first thing it says about the birth of Christ. Because we know, everybody knows, who's a Bible student, knows this is a messianic prophecy. It's a prophecy talking about the coming Messiah. The very first thing, and the government... Notice, even with this Christ child, the first thing God says is governor, ruler, leader, boss, not best friend, not buddy, not homeboy, governor, emperor, leader, king, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Notice it starts with governing and it produces peace. Anytime you let Jesus Christ and the Word of God govern your life, it will bring peace. Any nation that will allow Jesus Christ to govern it will have peace. Prophesied in Isaiah 9. It happened for Israel. When Israel let God, the God, their God, govern them, it produced peace. They even have a, had a king one time whose name meant the God of peace. His name was Solomon. And they had peace for 40 years, never a single war or battle. America, once it revolted and got its independence, it enjoyed great peace until the country decided to tear itself apart in a civil war. But even that was almost 100 years after its revolution. 100 years of peace, unheard of. Because God was governing it. And then, of course, Jesus Christ said in Matthew 24, in the end, there'll be wars and rumors of wars because in these end days, nobody wants God to govern them. So therefore, there'll never be peace. Verse seven, of the increase of his government and peace. Notice there again, it ties government and peace together. When you allowed God to govern and you allowed Jesus Christ to rule you, that's something Americans don't like. We don't want rules. We don't want to be governed. We don't want to be told what to do. Therefore, we don't have peace. We think more rebellion will bring more peace, and it does, and it robs us of it. But here again, this promise of this babe, unto us a child is born, is first government, the end result is peace. He's already declaring the end from the beginning because we know as Christians there's coming a millennial reign of Christ when Jesus Christ will come back and rule the earth for a thousand years and it will be a reign of peace. 
This is talking about the, from the day he was born, God was already looking at the millennial reign. From the day he was born 2,000 years ago, the prophets were already talking about the millennial reign of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, notice what God wants to do in your life through his government, through his governing you. He wants to order you and to establish you with judgment and with justice. This is why Americans have less peace. This is why we have protests in our streets. This is why there's corruption on every level. This is why we're the most psychologically medicated nation on the planet. This is why we have all the medicine, yet we're the physically sickest. This is why we have all the substance, yet we're not satisfied, because we refuse anymore to allow God Almighty to govern us. Because when he governs us, that little Christ child in a manger, he's going to order us, put things in order. He's going to establish us. One of the things I like about Christians, though I am one, they're, they, they're, most of them are the most stable people, or at least they have the potential to be. Because when you let Jesus Christ govern your steps and govern your marriage and govern your life, he establishes you. When you're established, you're firm and secure. But notice how he does it, with judgment. Well, see, there's half the body of Christ right there isn't interested because they don't want to be judged. We have that American expression, who are you to judge? They say, you're so judgmental. And I say, so is every adjective and adverb in every language, all 6,500 of them. We don't want to be judged anymore. Therefore, no peace. We, don't, we claim we want justice, but the justice we really need is not the justice we want. We got folks marching all over the country tonight wanting justice. Let Jesus Christ judge you. Then you can claim justice. Thank God we can protest over big things and little things, but that's not the justice. The Bible's not talking about the kind of justice they're looking for. This word justice means righteousness. This is all the prophecy of the Christ child, the baby we're celebrating tonight and tomorrow. But the very first thing God says about him is governor, leader, ruler, emperor. We, don't, we as Americans don't get that. We, we want a buddy. We want to do our thing. We want to get our degree. We want to get our career. And if I decide to go to church at Christmas, great. And if I decide to mess up, God better deal me out and bail me out. But we don't want a governor. We don't want somebody else telling us what to do. And that is why we lack peace so much of the time. If we would allow Jesus Christ to govern us, our lives would get so much better. So let's see if, if the actual day Christ was born, if this same theme was talked about. So come over here. Uh, to uh, Luke. Let's look at Luke's gospel. Interesting enough, the word government there, or govern, the government is the only, those are the only two verses that word is used in the entire Hebrew Bible. It's a totally unique word, and it's the root word is to rule and to command. And one theologian said it's because only God doesn't need to check with anybody on how to do stuff. <laughs> I like that. He's the only one that does not need consultation. The rest of us, we need heavy consultation. Luke chapter 2. Just teaching on the birth of Jesus from a perspective that America needs desperately. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so he's fulfilling Isaiah chapter 9 here. He's just a baby. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now, theologians, they, they want to tend to agree that these were probably descendants of Daniel from Persia. Because not every Jew came out of Persia. Some stayed there. 
And you know the teachings of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and the Jewish philosophers, they remain there. In fact, to be honest with you, the model for the synagogue was developed in captivity in Persia. So when they returned back to Israel after 70 years of captivity, they practiced what they had developed in Persia, home church, what, we, what they call synagogue, what, we, what then was adopted as the local church. To, to be honest with you, the kind of service we're having tonight was developed in Persia 2,500 years ago. This kind of setting by the Jews wanting to serve the God they had betrayed. And they maintained it because they said, we ain't never doing this again. We're going to make sure everybody knows God, that there'll be a minister to share the teachings of the Bible. Of course, they didn't call it the Bible. We call it the Bible. And so what we're doing tonight, this kind of service, this kind of gathering was developed in Persia and was adopted, carried back into Israel, became the synagogue. The early church, which were all Jews, practiced the same model and it became the church, the called out ones. Here in Matthew 2, he was born and the wise men came to Herod saying, where is he that is born the best friend of the Jews? What's that word? Isn't that a leadership term? Isn't that the like supreme monarch? Does there get anybody higher than a king? This terrified Herod because Herod was not born king. Herod became king because he killed his brother. This terrified him because here comes these, this, don't think of three wise men like what are behind me or something. Uh, we don't, we just have a shepherd. I guess we didn't buy the wise men. It's all right. We do have a holy cow though. You have to think of an entourage, probably of hundreds of people. They're traveling for two years and they're, they're, they're of great nobility. They probably did just come three guys with three little handful of goodies. We're talking about caravans. And you got to know this made an impression. Why would Herod agree to meet with three little guys coming from the sandy place? A king is not going to just meet with three drift drifters. This was probably a procession a lot like Queen of Sheba. The Magi are here. Oh, bring them in. Why else? You're going to listen to three hobos and be terrified? Whatever they said, whereas we're looking for the guy, he that was born king of the Jews. And it struck fear in Herod. And the Bible says here in the next verse, and everybody in Jerusalem was scared. So these guys came with tremendous weight. But the first thing they say is, where's this king? Not where's this best friend? Where's this cuddly buddy? Where's this one that blesses me on the weekend? Where's this one who lets me get my praise on and sing? Where's this king we've come to worship? Powerful. For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So this was propagated. This wasn't just kept private in the king's court. This ran throughout the city of Jerusalem. And they heard that the king had been born, not this dirty King Herod who had, who had stolen the throne by killing his brother, a true king. And when he had gathered all his chief priests and scribes of the people together, he commanded of them where Christ should be born. So when the, the wise men saying, they tell him, we, we will come to see the king, Herod says, all right, all right, for the first time he gets religious now. He gathers the chief priests and the lawyers, those that are masters in the Old Testament. Where's Christ supposed to be born? Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? Because now he's nervous. 
And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea. Now, we've already seen here, the first thing said of this Christ child is king. That's a leadership term. That is him having rulership in our life. That is, speaks of him wanting to govern, not best friend. First and foremost, Jesus Christ wants to rule and reign in our life. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, but he is the king supreme. Amen. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this it is written by the prophet, that's the prophet Micah, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a best friend. Governor. Once again, we, we should be building this picture that God wants to run our life. He wants to boss us around. And he's not an evil dictator. He's not an Idi Amin or a Pol Pot. He's not a... Uh, uh, I don't know, the guy, uh, Castro. He's not a Hussein. He's a benevolent king. He's our father. He's the one that sent his son to die for us. We're afraid to be bossed around because we've, all we've ever seen is bad bossing. He said, my commandments are not grievous. Out of thee shall come a governor that shall be best friends with my people. Rule. You see this? We've lost this as American Christians. We think Jesus is the superstar buddy in the sky that we can come and go and, and ask for his blessing. He's like a wishing well or something. That is not the picture the birth of Christ is preaching. These magi are confirming, as are the priests and the scribes here, that the first thing said about the Christ child is king, governor, lord, and ruler. That's what's being said over and over and over again. Go to Luke chapter 1 now. Because we see the same witness. Hopefully this is helping us to understand exactly who we're celebrating Luke chapter 1, verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary. The angel Gabriel appeared unto Mary to tell her she was going to conceive a child supernaturally. That again fulfilled Isaiah chapter 7. For behold, a virgin shall conceive a son. He says, she's, the angel says, Fear not, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. What does a throne speak of? Kingship, emperorship, lordship. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Here the angel Gabriel, the messenger of God, confirms the same thing. We need to be seeing our Lord Jesus Christ as a ruler. That's, that's what the word Lord means. The way many Christians act is they should call him buddy Jesus, pal Jesus, my homie Jesus. But Paul scores of times in the epistles called him the Lord Jesus Christ. We would say the president in our American vernacular. We would even use the term governor because to us that's lower than the president. If you're in the military, you would say the general. Ultimate power calls all the shots, you obey. There's a reverence before him, and there's also a security and a safety. Amen. 
Look at Revelation chapter 2. We know there's coming a time. Now, thank God he's governor, ruler. And from the time he died on the cross, Revelation chapter 2. So we've basically run from Isaiah to Revelation tonight. From the time he was crucified on the cross and he descended into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights and raised up from the dead, he began to accomplish his kingdom. Unfortunately, perhaps, fortunately for us, but unfortunately for the world, the kingdom is just within us. He doesn't get to govern in the whole world right now. Therefore, there's no peace anywhere in the world. The current UN statistic is that there are only 12, I think it's 12 countries out of over 200 in the world right now that are not entangled in some kind of political military conflict. But then again, Jesus Christ does not get to rule over any nation anymore. Not even Jerusalem. They're one of the most secular, westernized nations on the planet. Israel has the most liberal abortion policy on the planet. In fact, our friend Pastor Kerry Gordon got to tell one of the high-ranking officials in Tel Aviv a couple months ago, he said, you're running out of trust and support from us American Christians when you abort more babies than we do. It's hard to tell our churches to support you when you're more of a mass murderer than we are. From the time he was raised from the dead, Jesus began to affect his kingdom. And for every man, woman, and child that will allow this governor to govern in their heart and life, they will have peace. He promised that, my peace I give unto you. It only comes with his governing, though. You know, when Jesus Christ gets to call the shots, you don't mess stuff up. Most of our lack of peace comes from messing things up because we violated his word and we violated his standards and we lack the wisdom and we lack the understanding that he promised Israel if they keep his statutes and do them. And then the world looks at us and says, well, you got nothing going. Why would I serve your God? Because you don't. He, he, the kingdom promise is still there. He is still Lord. He's just not Lord over the earth yet. But he is coming back. He is coming one day to affect his kingdom as a political kingdom over all the earth. And then he will govern. And because he will be the governor, there will be peace worldwide for a, a millennia, 1,000 years. Here in Revelation chapter 2, verse 26, Jesus Christ, red letters, he told his church, he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end. So he's telling the church, be doers. To him will I give power over the nations. That sounds like that's the Greek word authority. So when we govern with, when he governs our life, we get to govern with him. This is a millennial promise. This isn't a promise for right now. Verse 27, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I have received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. And he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Notice there's a promise that if we'll let him govern in our life now and we faithful walk with him, faithfully keep his works, we'll get to rule with him in that fullness of the kingdom. Even his disciples on the day of his ascension, he said, are you going to establish the kingdom now? And he said, it's not for you to know the days or the hours the Father has put into his hand. They were looking for that millennial kingdom then. And Jesus said, it's not time yet. We know from Paul's teaching in Romans, the Jews had to be broken off that the time of the Gentiles might be grafted in. And when the time of the Gentiles is full, then the Jews will be grafted back in. Then the millennial kingdom takes place. Then we see the Lord in his full governance. But until then, he rules in our heart. 
And if you let him govern in your heart and not just be your buddy that you can boss around and say, I'm sorry, I don't have time for you. I'm busy right now. But let him govern in your heart. You'll have that peace until he can govern in your heart. You don't have that peace. You're miserable. The world's got all sorts of religions. They've trumped up looking for peace and they don't have peace. Peace is only found in the prince. Isn't that a political term? Not the buddy of peace, not the pal of peace, not the shopping spree of peace, but the prince of peace. His peace comes when he governs and rules and reigns. Two more verses, then we're done. Revelation chapter 12. So we've seen Moses prophesy and declare governance and peace by the word. We see Isaiah the prophet prophesy governance and peace by the word. We see the wise men who've been looking for it for hundreds of years prophesy governments by the word of God. We see the angel testify of the identical thing, governance and peace. Here in the Revelation, we see an apostle see the same thing. Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. And she brought forth the man child, child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. This is in heaven looking back at what happened at Christmas. A woman, Mary, bringing forth a man child who was to rule all nations. Uh, hopefully we're seeing this over and over again that Jesus Christ is not this buddy Jesus. He is a political leader. And right now, though, he doesn't have an established kingdom with bureaucracy. Thank God there won't be any bureaucracy. They'll just be us obeying and rather than voting. Voting doesn't help anything. But see, we as Americans, we think we have a vote in how we serve Jesus. We see this testifying that Jesus Christ is a governor, a king, an emperor. And the first place he wants to be emperor over is our heart. The term emperor infers that you have an empire. That's the words the etymology. So the first place he wants to have an empire is our heart. He wants to be able to rule every area of our life. Whatever area of our lives lack peace, Jesus Christ does not rule there. So wherever we're goofy, tumultuous, tormented, lacking peace, confused, you need to let Jesus Christ have some more territory. Let him increase his empire of your heart. Last verse, Revelation 19, 15. Are you learning anything tonight? Are you seeing things about this Christ child you've never seen before, though it's in the word over and over again? Last year's Christmas message was Mahil Shalal Hashbaj. Anybody remember that? And you've never heard a message since, or probably ever again. Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. Talking of Jesus. Actually, back up to verse 13. And he was clothed with the vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Amen. That's his name. <laughs> the Word was made flesh. You can't separate Jesus from the Word. They're the, they're the same. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. Our president's called the commander-in-chief. He commands the military. Jesus Christ was the first commander-in-chief. The, the Hebrew language calls him the Lord of hosts. Hosts means army. 
We, get, we call it commander in chief. Jesus, before there was a president, there was a Lord of hosts. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. You follow leaders. You follow governors. They're not following their best friend. They're following the commander of heaven's armies. And they followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. King, and again the Greek is emperor. Every verse we've looked at tonight points to one thing that we need to get a good understanding of as rebellious Americans. Jesus Christ is the Lord of Almighty. He is the emperor. He is our governor. He is our slave master. He owns us. We are his property. We submit freely. And see, the world calls us stupid, ignorant, weak, narrow-minded, ignorant, cross-eyed, inbred, whatever they can come up with. And I smile and say, yes, perhaps, but I have peace. And you don't. So something's working that you can't see with that little college brain of yours. Amen. I'm not against college, but college doesn't help you find Christ. College makes you smart in the world's knowledge. Peace is what we ought to be looking for, though. It's only found in Jesus Christ. His name is called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and tomorrow we celebrate his birthday. Only God could make himself born of a virgin and take upon him the seed of Abraham to understand what we suffer and go through. And so as we celebrate Jesus tonight with our children and our family and our grandkids and celebrate the birth of Jesus, let us also remember, above everything the Bible said, prophesying about his birth, the one thing it said over and over again wasn't little baby, wasn't cute cuddly. It was, this is a king. This is a governor. This is a ruler. And the first place he's going to rule is in our lives. And when he does, oh baby, the peace we'll have, it'll flood in like a river flooding like a storm and we'll say, Lord, rule more rule, please. Amen.